Religion has profoundly influenced the sweeping American narrative, perhaps more than any other force in our history, from the time before European settlers to the present day. The Startup National Museum of American Religion is working to build a museum in the nation's capital that tells the story of what religion has done to America and what America has done to religion, inviting all to explore the role of religion in shaping the social, political, economic, and cultural lives of Americans, and thus America itself. I'm your host, Chris Stevenson. Join me for our 12-part podcast series, Religion and the American Experience, as we follow scholars deep into America's religious history and learn how it can inform and animate us as citizens grappling with complex questions of governance and American purpose in the 21st century. Episodes will be released every Monday between now and the end of the year on Podbean under Story of American Religion, Apple Podcast, and Spotify. 2020 has brought America the COVID-19 pandemic, the largest wildfire season in California history, according to California officials, and so many hurricanes that we have had to start using Greek letters to identify them. These things have traumatized Americans and America itself. When Americans have experienced trauma, they have often reached out to religion, hoping for some emotional comfort, physical assistance, and answers to help them understand the sometimes chaotic and destructive world that surrounds them. Peter Tucson just published what is, for these reasons, a very timely book called Tornado God, American Religion and Violent Weather which, and I'm quoting here from the book cover flap, captures the harrowing drama of tornadoes as clergy, theologians, meteorologists, and ordinary citizens struggle to make sense of these death-dealing tempests. Mr. Tucson says something that all Americans should listen to. In the tornado, Americans experience something that is at once culturally peculiar and religiously primal. In the whirlwind, Americans confront the question, of their own destiny. Peter J. Tucson is a historian of American religion and professor of religion studies at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and co-editor of Religion and American Culture, a journal of interpretation. He was awarded the Frank S. and Elizabeth D. Brewer Prize of the American Society of Church History for his book, In Discordance with Scriptures. American Protestant Battles Over Translating the Bible. Mr. Tucson has a PhD from Princeton University and taught previously at Tufts University and Yale Divinity School. We are very happy to have Peter here to help us understand a very particular part of American religious history, religion and tornadoes, even as we experience our own natural calamities. Also, we hope to better understand generally what religion has done to America and what America has done to religion, and thus be better equipped as citizens to ensure that the American experiment in self-government endures. Peter, uh, you begin the book with the April 1974 super outbreak tornado system and the particular tornado that touched down in Xenia, Ohio. Can you share this story with us and why you chose it to frame the rest of the book? Sure. Well, and first, I want to thank you, Chris, for having me for this podcast. I'm really excited about what you're doing, and uh, I'm thrilled to be able to take part in this. Um, The Xenia story is, I think, particularly compelling and poignant. Uh, As you say, yes, it was part of the what later became known as the super outbreak. There was a, a rash of tornadoes that broke out over the American continent that afternoon on April 3rd, 1974. And um, in Xenia alone, 34 people were killed. And so it it indelibly imprinted that town with this disaster. Um, But Xenia also is, I, I think, kind of symbolically significant, partly because of its name, um, the um, the word means hospitality, uh, or from the root meaning hospitality in Greek, and um, so the question that I explore at the beginning of that section of the book is, uh, 
what was Xenia welcoming, or it really wasn't welcoming this thing into its midst there on uh, April 3rd, 1974. Was this a visitation of God or was it something else? Um, and it, that's the question that Xenia residents had to wrestle with powerfully in the aftermath of the tornado. I mean, was this God that did this to them or not? And that's the perennial question in American history. I mean, we are subject to the forces of nature, and yet are those forces somehow linked to God's plan, God's providence? And the, the newspaper accounts of Xenia residents um, reflecting on this afterward are so powerful. Uh, some of the personal stories of loss are, are, are so powerful. And that's tr been true for every weather disaster in American history, but I, I was particularly touched by the Xenia story, partly because I'm, I'm, I live relatively close to Xenia in Indianapolis, so it's um, not a long drive away, and, and, and there's that Midwestern um, profile that I, I'm, I'm familiar with, and, and so uh, I decided to open the book with that. I, I, uh, when I read read that first part there's a there's a picture in the book uh of three people at their uh slab the louder box right uh, husband wife and a, and a very young child and uh you know you just they're looking up at the camera and and you just stare at them but then their surroundings where their house was it's just a a slab um and so it becomes very personal even from my perspective i don't live near it i don't study this but but you mentioned that the newspaper reports were very revealing, very poignant. Can you share one or two of either the letters or the editorials that, that came out as a result from, of, uh, of the tornado in Xenius? And I was especially struck by the letters. I think you quoted three from out-of-town residents sort of trying to explain from their perspective why it had happened in Xenia. That was very interesting. Right, well, you... <laughs> You saw there some of the typical responses that have happened in the wake of disaster. I mean, there was uh, one person who wrote into the local paper and said that Xenia always had a rep reputation for wickedness. And so, you know, this must be God's uh, retribution for that. And but but then a local newspaper editor uh, took issue with that quite strongly and said that his God is not a God that would do this kind of thing to people. And uh, what, what is so uh, striking to me as a historian about that is that that debate really is as old as um, America itself. I mean, in the sense that Americans, since the beginning of European colonization, when they brought uh, the Christian tradition with them as a way to reflect on these things, Christian and other traditions, but particularly the Christian tradition, They've been debating these these events in such terms, um, right? And uh, so, I, really, Xenia, just in the newspaper back and forth in the aftermath, provided kind of a microcosm for for these long running debates in American history. Okay, yeah. Well, you, you talk about time. This was in 1974. So, uh, I want to go back to the. Um, 1694, Cotton Mather, you have a story in there about Cotton Mather, who was giving a sermon about uh, the God of glory thundereth. I, I grabbed that from uh, his sermon. That's not the title of it, but he used that scripture. Um, and then what happens to his home while he's at church talking about this? Can you briefly tell us about this and perhaps more importantly, what it tells us about how early Americans, so this is in the colonial period, saw natural calamities such as tornadoes or lightning strikes? Sure. I love Cotton Mather. He's one of the most interesting figures in American history. Of course, the whole family of Mathers uh, is illustrious. Uh, you know, it was this ministerial family steeped in the long Calvinist tradition, and uh, they were highly intellectual. And, and Mather was, Cotton Mather was very smart, and he knew he was smart. And uh, so he was a little bit full of himself and only Cotton Mather could have gotten into this sort of situation, it seems, that he was preaching and he, he felt an urge to put down his notes and to speak on God in 
the weather, basically. And it was during that sermon that someone handed him a note to say that um, his house had just been struck by lightning. And rather than just dropping everything and ending his sermon and rushing home, Mather, uh, to model an unconcern for worldly things, continued his sermon. And, um, and so he, he went on to make the point, and this was later published, um, that uh, though there are natural causes to the weather, uh, the weather is still uh, under the control of God, the high thunderer, as he put it. And uh, that is the tension that begins to emerge in colonial clergy and other figures who wrote about this in the 17th and 18th centuries, that on the one hand, the weather is governed by um, uh, natural law and um, is predictable in that sense. And, And over time, Americans learn more and more about how the weather worked. But on the other hand, um, for, for theists, for believers in God, the weather's still under God's control somehow. And how do you balance those two? Um, and, and I, you know, Mather may not have wanted to admit it, but he sensed this tension. And in fact, over time, the clergy uh, started becoming worried that people would, as they put it, stop at second causes, second causes was the phrase for those secondary forces in nature, you know, the, the wind, the, the, the humidity, and so forth that, that govern the weather. And, and, and they warn people, don't stop at second causes. Remember that there's a first cause behind all of this. Don't forget the first cause, and that's God. And so they sense this, this atheistic possibility, and uh, they wanted to guard against it. And so that's what that story from Cotton Mather's sermon illustrates. Right. Sounds like it'd be a great little uh, video, you know, of that, him getting the note. And that, oh, I wish we had uh, it. Yes, I know. I know. Fantastic. Um, you write uh, also in this same chapter, um, something very, very fascinating that uh, from a re- American religious history perspective, that Protestants and Catholics confronted physical calamities in significantly different religious ways. And I think we all know Protestants were the majority. Catholics were a very small, small minority. But even so, they really viewed violent weather, let's say, in different ways. Um, can you tell us about this and its implications? Well, uh, yes. I mean, one of the, the key differences was that uh, in a Catholic way of being religious, there were uh, more mediating figures, uh, uh, kind of buffers between the individual and God. And, and those included the saints. And, and so the, the saints provided us a, a measure of protection for people that um, Protestants uh, were bereft of once the Protestant Reformation rejected, for the most part, the old Catholic cult of the saints. Uh, Martin Luther, the, the early great Protestant reformer, is a perfect example of this. That you know, the details of it are somewhat disputed, and and whether the way Luther wrote about this particular story is entirely accurate. Accurate is also disputed, but there's the famous story of Luther being caught in a thunderstorm, and uh, he's uh, terror-struck, and the first thing he thinks to do is St. Anne, who is, among other things, the patroness of people caught in thunderstorms. And, and so he makes a spontaneous vow, according to the old story, uh, St. Anne, help me, and if you help me, I will become a monk. Uh, and so... Uh, when he survives this uh, calamity, of course, he's not going to renege on his vow. And so he enters uh, a uh, full-time religious life, takes a vow um, um, of celibacy uh, that, of course, he later then in the, the course of the Reformation renounces. Um, so uh, the saints provided protection, but then late, later Luther comes to reject 
that mediating function of the saints by and large. And other Protestants reject it even more strongly. So the way I put it in the book is basically that for Protestants, there is very little, if anything, standing between the individual and Almighty God when it comes to um, the sometimes frightening power of the weather. Right. In fact, when I, you, you wrote, there's one sentence that you wrote that really almost came out and slapped me, right? You said Protestants faced the world alone because of what you just explained. So are there any implications for the entire American experiment in self-government of that sort of statement? Because this was a Protestant nation more than anything else at the beginning. You know, what are its implications, if, if any, in your mind? Uh, well, that's a really interesting question, and I think, I, I mean, one could say that uh, one implication is that uh, once, uh, once instance particularly in American history become convinced that God is on their side, uh, then um, uh, th- that is a powerful contributor to American nationalism and even the weather itself. Uh, can um, buttress that that um, that kind of nationalistic fervor. I mean, I tell in the book about how um, in in a couple of situations in English Protestant history, uh, there were there was the widespread feeling that that God had uh, supported the Protestant cause uh, through meteorological intervention, basically. So uh, when uh, the English were facing the the Spanish Armada in 1588, a storm helped defeat the Spanish Armada. And then a a century later in 1688, uh, the weather was said to have assisted William of Orange in invading England and overthrowing um, England's last Catholic king. And so the, the... the so-called Protestant winds of 1588 and 1688 were seen as interventions on behalf of Protestantism. And that kind of laid a foundation for later American nationalism. So uh, Americans in, in their doctrine of manifest destiny overspreading the American continent became, became convinced that God was on their side, and even the weather would not stand in their way. Even the weather would uh, sometimes assist them. And yet, the weather has a a powerful way of uh, frustrations. And so that's a recurring theme, too, that, um, you know, as soon as people thought uh, the weather would cooperate, it didn't. Peter, throughout the book, I noticed that Americans reached out and grabbed the same few biblical verses, it seemed, over and over and over when they had to make sense of the whirlwind's awesome and terrible destruction around them. Uh, can you share perhaps what some of those verses are or just generally how Americans use the Bible to, to decipher these whirlwinds? Well, that, that's a great question because one of the things that's most striking about the American experience with violent weather is that people, particularly Christians, who are the the, uh, majority religious adherents in American history, appeal to scripture again and again in trying to make sense of violent weather. Uh, I I realized in the course of this project, this was happening so much that uh, I convinced the publisher to include a scriptural index as part of the book because there are certain citations that occur again and again. So a tornado happens and, and someone inevitably appeals to a verse like Nahum 1.3, where it says, the Lord hath his way in the whirlwind and the storm. And uh, that's just one small example. The, the Hebrew Bible's full of verses that use meteorological imagery to illustrate divine power. I think there's something very primal about that across religious cultures, and you see it vividly in Hebrew scripture. And so those verses just jumped out at Americans in the wake of a storm uh, and seemed to confirm uh, a providential reading 
of um, of disaster, even while raising questions about what kind of God send that kind of destruction. So, I mean, the Bible was both a touchstone, I think, uh, and, and at times a source of comfort, but also a source of, of religious questions about these terrible things. Uh, Peter, uh, along the Bible uh, theme, you, you tell us in the book about uh, two particular biblical wins. One is the Pentecostal win, the mighty rushing, and it's sort of a positive one. And then the apocalyptic wins in the, New Te- in, in the Re- book of Revelations as a, you know, destructive wins. Ha- tell us about those two and how they were sort of understood and used by Americans to understand, to try to understand violent weather. Yes, well, that's one of the paradoxes of the wind as an instrument of God's power that is both um, a wind that, that builds up uh, and, and enlivens people, but it's also a wind that at times destroys. And so the, what I refer to as the Pentecostal wind is this story, of course, of the, of the first Pentecost in the book of Acts, where um, a rushing mighty wind descends, and that, in that instance, the wind becomes an image of, of the power of the Holy Spirit. But uh, at the close of the Bible, the wind figures into the elements that um, bring destruction uh, at the end, the, the, um, the unfolding apocalypse. And so the four winds of the apocalypse uh, recur um, uh, throughout Christian history as um, an image of destruction. I mean, you, you find that in um, some medieval uh, art, for example. Um, and, um, so it's really two sides of, uh, this religious coin in, in the human experience that, uh, uh, God both, uh, creates, but also destroys. And, and that's something that Americans perennially wrestled with. You quote Henry Ward Beecher saying, and here I'm quoting from one of his sermons, here is where the storms end. God no longer rules by force and fear, but by hope and love. Can you speak, uh, Peter, to the changes in how Americans understood violent weather in religious terms between colonial times and uh, post-Civil War? Yes. I I, I mean, and I think a a big part of the change is the rise of... um, what we would begin to recognize as modern science and a, a more scientific understanding of the weather. And with that, a rising optimism that these once mysterious forces could be understood and maybe even mastered. I mean, you mentioned Henry Ward Beecher. And so by the latter half of the, the 19th century, I mean, he was um, maybe the most famous preacher of his day. So very prominent figure. And he was involved in a tornado disaster, um, or the, the aftermath of it, rather, at, that occurred in Iowa at uh, Grinnell, Iowa. Grinnell College was pretty much wiped out by a tornado in 1882. And um, so uh, the leaders of the college then uh, went back east and, and um, appealed to um, uh, Beecher in, in Brooklyn and others for help in raising money to uh, rebuild the college. And, and Beecher uh, used that incident partly as an occasion to talk about how uh, he felt that uh, a scientific worldview was replacing an old superstitious one. And uh, in the face of disasters like that, people could turn them to, to good. Uh, the good would come of them, uh, and uh, people would no longer be uh, as he did, an in- ignorant and trembling race before the forces of nature. And um, I, the 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 namesake of Grinnell College, Josiah Grinnell, um, even commented uh, that cyclone was a real windfall. Uh, it, it, it's kind of a it seems in retrospect to be a rather callous comment since 30 townspeople were killed in that disaster. And yet what he meant was, 
you know, we built Grinnell up better than ever before after this. And, and that was typical of this emerging scientific, uh, optimistic, confident mentality uh, in, in the latter half of the, the 19th century. And, and so uh, Beecher was basically repudiating his old, much of his old Puritan inheritance that assumed that uh, weather disasters were punishment for some kind of human misconduct. Instead, he's, he, he wanted to push the view that they were natural and that God's purpose was to, to uh, enlighten and to build up, not to destroy. Wow. Very interesting. Uh, we are listening to Peter J. Tucson, historian of American religion and professor of religion studies at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and co-editor of Religion and American Culture, a Journal of Interpretation. Mr. Tucson has a PhD from Princeton University and taught previously at Tufts University and Yale Divinity School. Uh, Peter, I want to move to talking about the deadliest tornado in American history. Uh, as you know, the tri-state tornado, which hit Missouri, Illinois, and Indiana on March 18th, 1925. Can you first describe, perhaps briefly, the physical picture for us and then how people saw this in religious terms. Yes, well, I mean, the tri-state tornado is really a, a, an event that still stands out, even um, in light of uh, our, our reason, whether disasters have been uh, exacerbated by climate change, the tri-state tornado still stands out as uh, a of especially destructive force. Uh, I'm, we're not absolutely sure. We think it was a single tornado that uh, moved across those states, the, a long track tornado that maintained its destructive power over uh, hundreds of miles. And uh, so nearly 700 people were killed in that disaster. And, and some of the little towns along the way uh, were absolutely wiped off the map. Uh, one bigger town, Murfreesboro, Illinois, wasn't completely destroyed, but so many residents of that town were killed that it is uh, indelibly imprinted uh, in in that town's memory and history. Uh, and and after uh, the storm passed, people were left absolutely stunned. I have a picture in the book of a man w- uh, with a stunned look on his face. Um, standing beside his overturned piano in a pile of rubble that presumably was once his house. And um, there's another photo that I've seen of a a child uh, whose head is bandaged and and he's holding a dog. And fortunately, the dog is still alive. But there's cases like those of these poignant um, examples of people who were left speechless and stunned by the the, the power, uh, the destructive power of this storm, and um, I the, the way I talk about that storm in the book is that uh, it was a reminder, even in 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 the wake of uh, the rise of modern science in uh, the 19th century, that. Uh, the forces of nature could only uh, be mastered so far. Um, Henry Ward Beecher's optimism uh, met its match, in a sense, in in that disaster, and and so it it I think put the brakes on some of the hope that um, uh, the tornado would one day be conquered. Yeah, no, uh, I, I think. Uh... I'm reminded of something I, I read, and I'm going to quote something you wrote in this chapter, and I'd like you to, to explain what you meant. Uh, you write, the tri-state tornado represented the obverse of American exceptionalism, that instead of nature's nation blessed by God, the United States was the singular recipient of nature's wrath. The tri-state tornado was a symbolic tipping point towards new ways of thinking about God, nature, and American chosenness. So that's that's a there's a lot of stuff packed in those sentences. Uh, what what 
what do you mean? What does all this mean in, in maybe the larger picture, right, of, of American exceptionalism, thoughts about that, you know, um, chosenness, et cetera? Right. Um, yes, the, the, the tri-state tornado, um, I, I mean, I should back up a bit and say that it wasn't the um, um, first shock to the American system in, in, in the wake of um, scientific advances of, of the 19th century. In, in, at the end of the 19th century, in 1896, uh, a, a massive tornado hit St. Louis, Missouri, and St. Louis was at that time the fourth largest city in the United States. And uh, some 255 people were killed in that, and a large section of the city was destroyed. And so 1896, St. Louis, and then the tri-state tornado in 1925, in, in the wake of disasters like that, and I should add, too, um, the Galveston hurricane of, of 1900, which uh, killed some 6,000 people. I mean, if you want to talk about scale of disaster, that's even greater. Uh, but the, the disaster such as this um, began to um, uh, cause certain theologians to question um, certainly the optimism of someone like Henry Ward Beecher, but also to question uh, the long regnant assumption in American history that. Um, uh, Americans were somehow particularly blessed by God. And um, one of the first people to do this was someone who was actually uh, a, a young boy when the St. Louis tornado of 1896 hit. He was living um, nearby in St. Charles, Missouri, and this was Reinhold Niebuhr. Uh, and Reinhold Niebuhr, in the wake of these uh, um, disasters of the late 19th, early 20th century began to rethink American exceptionalism and also rethink the way the Bible had been used uh, to interpret the weather. And so one of the, the passages that, that Niebuhr most focused on was Matthew 545 um, from the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And, and Niebuhr came to the conclusion that uh, that in that passage we see um, uh, what he called an illustration of God's transmoral mercy that 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 nature is um, basically blind to um, the the recipient of either its its blessings or its curses. Um, and uh, this had huge implications for uh, the way Americans thought about their own experience. Um, I mean, Niebuhr said, uh, uh, we can't assume, in effect, that, that, that nature is on our side. In fact, very often it is not. And, and you know, it's from that that Niebuhr developed um, um, all sorts of related conclusions about um, American destiny and, and, and chosenness. As, you know, in the 20th century, as Niebuhr reconsiders uh, this old uh, colonial providential view of um, American chosenness, uh, he, he realizes what he calls the, the radical implications of this passage. Um, and so uh, it, it it's the first in a number of 20th century reflections, I think, um, on um, how uh, difficult God's providence really is uh, to understand, uh, whereas uh, previous thinkers, thinkers in the American experience often assumed that, it, that the interpretation of providence was uh, relatively easy. That, that, that reminds me of the story, and I'm going back here in time, of Benjamin Franklin and the invention of the lightning rod and how people saw that when there was a big storm that hit Boston, which had the most lightning rods. You know, can you uh, elaborate on that story uh, briefly? That, that uh, really shows how Americans in the colonial period saw things. 
uh, with regard to science now. This is a scientific thing, right? The lightning rod. Sure. There was this controversy in the, the mid um, 1700s over lightning rods. And the, the, uh, many people uh, concluded that uh, lightning rods had brought down God's wrath. That they were tempting um, um, fate. Well, but not in a, an atheistic sense. Uh, they, they were, they were uh, uh, angering God uh, by uh, attempting to uh, protect people from God's wrath and deflect the power of the lightning. Um, and uh, so, I mean, it, people like uh, Benjamin Franklin and others were engaged in this debate. I mean, it was the same uh, sort of debate that occurred, interestingly, over smallpox inoculation. Um, you know, is, is that uh, a presumptuous thing for people to, to do to try to protect themselves against illness if illness is um, seen as uh, a providential punishment for some wrongdoing? Um, and um, so some of the colonial clergy uh, had to step up and, and defend the practice of inoculation. I mean, Cotton Mather did, um, Jonathan Edwards did. Jonathan Edwards took an inoculation um, for smallpox right after becoming president of um, the College of New Jersey, Princeton, and it killed him. So it's a sad story in Edwards' case. Uh, and yet he was trying to defend the um, modern science as something that was um, in keeping with um, a, a religious and, and pious view of the world. Um, and yet, you know, on the popular level, a lot of people felt uh, that inoculation was dangerous uh, because uh, it interfered with um, God's providential purposes. And did you notice, um, so you also uh, would look at, um, you know, sermons of local churches, right? So you, you were right. at, uh, intellectual theologians, you were looking at newspaper editors and letter writers, and you were looking at local church sermons, right? Or was there? Well, one thing I think is that in the context of a sermon, uh, in the context of a religious service, uh, the, the burden, the recurring burden on clergy has always been to find a way to comfort. And um, so the question uh, that's interesting to trace is how do the clergy rise to that challenge um, and do they make the same arguments in um, the 17th or 18th century that they make in the 20th century? Um, right. And I, w w one thing that I see over time is that by the 20th century, uh, there are many more clergy who are willing simply to say that uh, we don't think God is involved in the tornado at all. And that becomes a way to comfort. Um, whereas uh, the colonial clergy, um, as I suggested in talking about Cotton Mather, would have been much uh, more averse to making such a statement. Um, even though they were aware of secondary causes in nature, uh, they feared that if you stressed that angle too much, that you would be on a slippery slope. Whereas in the 20th century, uh, clergy uh, I, increasingly, I think, resort to um, uh, pretty much an outright denial that God is involved in deadly weather stirs. Uh, and it's understandable that they would use that as a way to comfort, and yet it doesn't answer the basic questions for religious people of um, how we should understand um, our place in the natural world if we are religious and um, want to maintain a theistic frame of reference. Yeah, right. So even closer to us uh, in time, Peter, is the 2013 tornado that hit Plaza Towers Elementary School in the city of Moore, which is just outside of Oklahoma City, and it killed seven children there. Uh, you, write that, uh, you write this, and I'll quote, uh, geographical location of this tornado was significant, uh, being where the, close quote, being where the Bible Belt and Tornado Alley overlap, which I found very interesting to, 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 to consider and think about. 
and I think in your book, much comes out of this analysis, right? That here's here are two things that are overlapping. Can you explain that to us? What you're talking about there and its significance? Yes, well, Oklahoma is the focus of much of the last part of the book. Uh, and uh, of course, it's because of Tornado Alley. I mean, even uh, taking into account that uh, climate change may be shifting Tornado Alley gradually eastward, uh, Oklahoma still is the home to more uh, violent, destructive tornadoes than anywhere else on Earth. And so, uh, residents of Oklahoma have always um, had a special relationship with violent weather. And uh, it's, it's uh, special for another reason, or maybe I should say it's representative uh, for another reason in that uh, evangelical Protestantism is especially important in the religious experience of that state. And so, um, violent weather tends to be uh, viewed through an evangelical lens. This is the Bible Belt angle. Uh, and, and when, by an, I mean through a biblical lens, because, of course, uh, for evangelical Protestants, the Bible is still uh, the principal authority um, and, and principal source of comfort in the wake of disaster. Um, and so, um, this uh, event that you mentioned, the, the 2013 Moore tornado, the, it, it was a, um, a massive F5 tornado that just literally chewed up huge sections of, of the town and um, made a direct hit on Plaza Towers Elementary School, which I, I later visited a couple of years later after it had been rebuilt. Um, and, and seven children um, were killed. It was in the middle of the school day. And so it raised the, the problem, the old problem of theodicy, how, how you explain um, uh, evil uh, or suffering uh, with particular acuteness. And um, uh, because of the, the evangelical um, influence there in Oklahoma, many uh, people who commented on this event in the press said, um, you know, we can't know why uh, God allows these things, and yet we still have to have faith that God is in charge. Um, and yet there, were, there was also uh, a, 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 what became a well-known incident when um, one um, the town was interviewed by CNN's Wolf Blitzer, and um, he he said to her at one point in the interview, do you, "Do you thank God for the fact that you survived?" And she hesitated for a, a moment and said, "Well, I, I'm an atheist," and it it uh, was an awkward moment for Wolf Blitzer because he was caught off guard, and uh, she was then later defended by. Uh, atheist organizations for her honesty, and, but it, it put on display this um, this long running tension in American history between viewing uh, the weather naturalistically and viewing it as something that God is very much involved in. Um, and so, uh, more uh, the the more tornado of 2013, I think, put that all on display. Uh, particularly powerfully. Uh, Peter, before we leave uh, this, this 2013 uh, tornado event, uh, in 2010, Oklahoma had a poll, put out a poll asking Oklahomans who the most powerful uh, person in the state was. Uh, share with us that, that anecdote. I think it's uh, fascinating and, uh, you know, sort of reflective of this overlap between the Bible Belt and violent weather in some ways. Yes, well, yeah, the surprising thing was that the, uh, the, the beloved local weatherman, Gary England, came in first and Jesus came in second. Uh, and it, it's reflective of the fact that um, the weather is in some sense a religion in Oklahoma, uh, or at least it puts people in touch with um, things that they consider most important. I mean, uh, they're... they're 
a number of local journalists who've written about this phenomenon. Uh, Holly Bailey uh, wrote a great book uh, in the wake of the Moore tornado in 2013, and, and she talked some about this and how weather uh, watching it really is uh, uh, a quasi religion in Oklahoma. Anytime uh, tornadoes are in the forecast, uh, and send uh, helicopters up so that um, if a tornado happens, they can actually follow it uh, in helicopters and film it as it is um, moving across the landscape. And 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 so there there's this this um, uh, even uh, mix even though it's mixed with fear. I mean, it, people are attracted uh, to the same time they fear them. Uh, to me, that is a perfect emblem for uh, uh, the power of the divine. The div- divine is both attractive and uh, fear uh, at once. And uh, so that's why I love Oklahoma as a, a laboratory for thinking about these things. So towards the end of the book, you you talk a little bit about, or quite a bit about, uh, Hurricane Katrina not a tornado, but uh, definitely calamitous weather. And, and you write this, and I just want you to elaborate on your observation. Uh, I'm, I'm quoting here. While admiring the benevolence of faith-based groups that descended upon the Gulf Coast after Katrina, historian James Hudnett Boimler could not shake the feeling that it was some kind of Protestant penance for a societal and governmental failure. Close quote. Can you elaborate a little bit? I know you're quoting other people, but but tell us a little bit about this and and what it means in context of Americans' religious understandings of of violent weather. Yes, well, I'm glad you brought up Katrina because Katrina brings in another whole dimension of this, and that is the the issue of. Um, or the tension, I should say, between uh, divine control and human responsibility. And, um, I mean, if we want to talk about perennial debates associated with the weather, that is certainly one. I mean, what is beyond human control? Um, And so that's the side that religious people would view as uh, the divine side. What is beyond human control versus what is in within humans' power. And um, Katrina is, in our recent national history, the most glaring example of a failure um, of Americans to um, um, do what is within their power to help ameliorate a disaster. Um, and uh, so much has been written about that and uh, about uh, all the, um, the structural problems that, that contributed to that disaster. Uh, uh, Ted Steinberg, a, a, another historian, um, has, has written about this. And, and um, basically his argument is that uh, the old phrase, acts of God, is misleading because there really no... Uh, acts of God in the sense that uh, uh, there's always going to be human involvement in disasters and human reasons for uh, suffering. And, and so that's something that uh, uh, Americans have had to reckon with and that they are increasingly going to need to reckon with uh, as uh, disasters, hurricanes become, uh, in particular, uh, more destructive in, in um this, this new world we find ourselves in of um, human-induced climate change. Um, hurricanes are becoming more intense. Uh, they're causing uh, more uh, catastrophic flooding, and it raises all kinds of questions about um, our priorities uh, and um, what we as a society um, owe to each other, to the common good, to, to, to try to uh, minimize both loss of life and, and, and economic destruction as well. Well, um, 
This has been fantastic. I, I, I just have one last question. You, you write, second to last page of your book, in religion, the tornado is an emblem of everything that humans cannot capture, close quote. Why, do you write, why did you write that? And what could the implications be to me as an American and to America itself? Yes, I, I do think that um, the tornado is a particularly powerful emblem. It's, it's certainly a particularly American emblem in that the um, United States is home to more violent tornadoes than any other nation on earth. I mean, other nations can certainly have tornadoes, but uh, our particular geographical situation uh, gives more violent tornadoes than anywhere else on earth. And so um, that's why the tornadoes loom so large in the American imagination. But in terms of religion, uh, when I say that they're an emblem for everything that humans can't capture, that, um, they have throughout our history uh, questions that have again and again proven unanswerable, or at least uh, um, uh, questions whose answers, uh, the answers that have been proposed will never satisfy everyone. Um, and so, um, and, I, and I don't expect that to change either. Uh, I don't expect uh, the march of modern science, which has certainly gotten better and better at, at predicting tornadoes ever to completely dispel um, the, the mysteries that tornadoes raise. And among those mysteries is uh, the question, of, the, the very basic question of how we as humans relate to the natural world and how um, the natural world relates to uh, the divine world um, for, for Americans who are religious. Thank you, Peter. Uh, we have been listening to Peter J. Tucson, historian of American religion and professor of religious stu religion studies at Indiana University, Purdue University, Indianapolis, and author of Tornado God, published by Oxford University Press earlier this year. Thank you so much, Peter, for taking time to participate and for all your efforts that went into writing this book. Thank you, Chris, for having me. The podcast series, Religion in the American Experience, is a project of the National Museum of American Religion. Episodes are released each Monday starting October 19th, 2020 through the end of the year on Podbean under Story of American Religion, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. <laughs>